Hello, church. This is Drew with the Church at Work podcast. I'm joined today by two friends, Andy Polk and Ryan Corstans. Would you two introduce yourselves and tell us a little about your education and where you currently are serving and working? Oh, man. Uh, this is Andy Polk. Uh, I teach uh, American religious history and do kind of history pedagogy stuff at MTSU. Um, did an MA in biblical studies at Hazup School of Theology, uh, MAR in history of Christianity at Yale Divinity, and a PhD in religious studies at Florida State University. Great, great. So you, you're currently teaching how many classes in a given semester at MTSU? Uh, usually three. I do two in the spring because I have a bunch of administrative stuff too. So okay. it kind of goes back and forth. Great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, Ryan, introduce us to, to your story, to yourself. Uh, I also am at this. I'm Ryan Corstange. I'm also at MTSU. I teach in our university studies department and uh, run a class for freshmen trying to figure out how to learn in college. And so I'm, you know, help with faculty development and curriculum design and teach three classes a semester. Um, it's fun. Uh, so my grad training is all in um, biblical interpretation. So I did a master's at Trinity Western University and then a master's and PhD at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. Um, focusing on the way that the Bible has been interpreted in Greek and Latin traditions and in the rabbinic tradition to some extent. Wow, really neat stuff. That's Talk to us just a little bit about uh, teaching freshmen how to learn oh, in it's, college. It's a good time. It's a good time, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, right? There's a lot of transition that students have at the same time. They're trying to figure out how to live on their own and trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and how to navigate uh, MTSU, which is a large campus, and then how to, you know, think in different ways than were required in high school. And so it's mm -hmm. a lot of transition that overlaps together. And so we just really try to help provide support and encouragement, I guess, as it goes on. So. Yeah, that's that's great. In some ways, that's what we're doing with this podcast. We're starting to think differently about what it means to be the church and mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. uh, unpack uh, what we hope is a faithful biblical understanding of what it means to be the people of God. That's good. That's good. Looking forward to some great conversation. Uh, for those of you who are listening, this is the first of two episodes that we'll have with the three of us together, and it really forms the uh, the bedrock, the foundation of our podcast as we go forward to do a little theological work around what is the church. We live in a time where the word, word church carries lots of different meanings. Uh, often we equate church with worship, what we do in our sanctuaries on Sunday mornings, and that's not wrong, but it's bigger than that. Other times, we equate church with fellowship, uh, friends, small groups we've been a part of for years. That's not wrong either, but it's bigger than that too. Still beyond that, lots of folks think we really only see church when we see the church engaged in mission, the, the church at work, if you will, which is the name of our podcast. That's not wrong either, but it's bigger than that too. And so we start our journey with these friends exploring a truly biblical and theologically sound definition of church. Getting our minds around who we are as God's church is crucial, I think, if we're to live as God's people who are called together in the gospel of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So so let's jump right in. Ryan, we'll start with you. Uh, if you were to define church, how would you start? So, uh, yeah, so that's actually a really hard question in a lot of ways. And so I think the first thing that I would want to say is we have to talk about what what period of church we're talking about. So uh, I would want to go back to the New Testament. And mm -hmm. the thing that I think is interesting about the New Testament is if you think about Jesus and if you think about the uh, Acts and then the letters, uh, 
the the church as we see it today isn't present really in any of those mm. uh, places. So Jesus um, was a Jewish guy with Jewish followers. Um, they did stuff together. They did stuff with other people. They kind of wandered around. They were really a lot more migratory than mm. what we are, nomadic, I guess, if you want. Um, they, they weren't confined to space. And then if you start to look into the ministry of Paul, there was more of an assembly of people. Uh, there's a Greek word, uh, ekklesia, which right. gets translated in all of our modern common, mm-hmm. uh, modern Bible translations as church. But, but that doesn't mean church like we think of it. It means something more like uh, a national assembly, right? So we could go into the kind of the variation that is Koine Greek, but that takes us too far afield. But but this, you know, the the New Testament was written in Greek that made sense to Greek-speaking people in the first century. Uh, and for them, this this term ekklesia had a lot of national meanings. It was a it was an assembly of citizens. Uh, and so when Paul uh, uses the term ecclesia, I think that he means a lot, something more like an assembly of like God's people in some mm. way, um, but but also kind of not in the sense that we would use it today because we th- we think of uh, God's people as being like called out from and set apart from uh, others. And I don't think that Paul necessarily had that connotation. So to define church, I think is really hard. Uh, but if we look in the New Testament, I think it's an assembly of people who are called together for a purpose. And that purpose has a lot to do with kind of figuring out and living out the gospel. Uh, and, and that's kind of why they're assembled in some way. Yeah, yeah, there, there is an assembly of people called together for a purpose, which is, and I love how you said, figuring out and living out the gospel. What does that mean? Well, I could, I mean, like historically what that means is that they had to figure out what the heck Jesus, right? Like Jesus did some stuff that was crazy and weird in the time <laughs> that he was here. And uh, in the it caused what I think we could call theological discomfort for his followers. Right. And so they had to figure out what the heck it meant. So there were this, some really interesting um, theological conversations that were happening amongst this assembly of people, right? Like, so the first and biggest was how Jewish do you have to be to follow Jesus? Is this something that like everybody can do or is this like a Jewish thing? Uh, and these things, these questions like that, uh, then there's questions about ritual and there's all kinds of questions like this that get answered in communities of people. Um, kind of as it goes farther away, uh, as time moves farther from Jesus's death and resurrection. Um, so, so partly there's the historical answer, right? It just means literally that they're working out what faith in Jesus means. Uh, but then there's a bigger question of what is the gospel and what does that mean and what work does that require and how, how do we then live? Those kind of questions too. Uh, those I think are harder to answer. Yeah. So to define church, we have to somehow at least begin defining gospel. I, th- I think so. I think that I think that speaks to the purpose, right? Because church, at least in the modern convention, we can think of church as a place or we can think of it as a group. And it has all those social connotations, as you mentioned before. Uh, but but a kind of primary question is like, but why? Yeah. Why, why this place? Why these people? What are we doing? Uh, and that has to come back to gospel, I think. I love the uh, I love the question because one of the things that I hear as I talk with people who are of of many ages, but especially younger folks in today's world, uh, they want to know what we're about. They want to understand what. Why would I come to your church? Why would I be a part of this community of faith? If there's not a compelling why or a reason, 
they don't want anything to do with it. Mm. And uh, I, I tell a story sometimes about a, a young family that came to our church at Crossville. Great people had grown up in the church, wanted to join the church. So we had our meeting with the preacher. We sat down and talked about it. And uh, I did the usual preacher thing and said all that I was supposed to say. <laughs> and, you know, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church with your prayers, presence, gift, service, and witness? Very institutional language, loyalty language. And uh, ultimately, Will, the the uh, the husband of this couple, said, uh, I, I just want to know one thing before we make this decision. What is this church about? Yeah. What is this church about? And I thought, nobody's ever asked me that before. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I thank God that an answer came to mind. I think the Holy Spirit was there. And somehow <laughs> we answered that question in a way that that bound us together and was good. But anyway, I, we have to answer the question. Yep. Though it is tough, so let's work on that. What is gospel? What is gospel? Andy, would you talk with us a little yeah, bit? Yeah. So about after that? Ryan says that's the harder question, I get to answer yeah. that one. <laughs> like nothing to it. Um, well, I so I, I do think this is a central question. I, I like the way that Ryan framed it. The history of Christianity seems to be. I, I think you can at least read it as a group of people together trying to figure out what it means to be the people of God in their time and place. Right, so it's not just them having questions, not knowing what the answer of the gospel is. Is the gospel has to be uh, has to be applicable. It has to be lived out, and that changes depending where you are and who you're going with and with people because people are messy. Um, so I think the way that we would like to define gospel are, are kind of um, I call them back pocket answers, the Sunday school answer that we mm-hmm. always have that we know is right enough. Is Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, and that's right. It's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. That that's some core of the gospel. But I like the way that you framed uh, the discussion of church at the beginning, that it's it's more than that. Right. So I think the the implications, uh, to be a good historian, um, I can just couch my beliefs in other people's things, uh, is uh, my, my understanding, the way I've talked about the gospel, is, is a guy named Will Campbell, who was um, uh, a preacher, kind of a rogue Baptist preacher. He worked for the National Council of Churches during the Civil Rights Movement is where he was known. He was there at the founding of the Southern um, Christian Leadership Conference at the at Albany and uh, Nashville at Montgomery Birmingham all of them, uh, but but he tells a story about his understanding of the gospel from a friend of his named P D East. He was a, a guy who was a newspaper editor in Mississippi, uh, and East was uh, he was an agnostic. Didn't really have faith as a whole, but it had a really quick wit and would always ask Will, call him Brother Will, and ask him questions about Mister Jesus. Uh, and one day they were talking, he said, Brother Will, I got a question about Mr. Jesus. You, you keep telling me that the, the gospel of Mr. Jesus is simple. It's not complicated. It's not all this highfalutin theology. So give it to me simple. Give me the gospel of Jesus in 10 words or less. And Will, of course, tried to kind of talk around it. Well, it's complicated and it depends on context and it's deep theology. And, and, and East cut him off and said, nope, you keep telling me it's simple. So give it to me simple, 10 words or less. So we'll thought for a little bit and finally said, all right, we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway. Amen. <laughs> East counted it on his fingers. He was like, all right, you got room to spare. I like it. And that was it. And Will was just happy to get out of the conversation. He was like, okay, and just moved on. Uh, but the kind of the complete part, maybe the last word of it comes later on. A few months later, uh, Campbell had a, a friend, Jonathan Daniels. He was a seminarian. He was in Lowndes County, Alabama, registering um, uh, black voters. Uh, he was with another priest, a friend of his, 
uh, and, and two teenage girls who were, were walking around. They had stopped at a gas station to get something to eat on a hot day. Uh, the gas station attendant called uh, the local sheriff's office to report them because it's two black girls with two white men. Sheriff's deputy came up, special deputy, uh, got out of his car, pulled out a shotgun, confronted them, and shot Jonathan Daniels dead. Turned the gun on the other three. The uh, priest stepped in front, was mortally wounded, but the, the two girls got away. Uh, that man, the, the deputy, Thomas Coleman, called in the murders, called him into his bosses. He would later be completely exonerated right, uh, through a jury. Before then, right after it happened, um, they called and, and Will got the, the call that his friend, Jonathan, had died. He was with his brother and, and, and East at the time. Uh, and he was he was in grief. He was he was enraged by the injustice of it all, grieving. Uh, and as that was happening, he stopped and said, "Hey, brother Will, I got a question." And Will knew it was coming out. Said, "No, not not now, PD. Don't not now." And he said, "No, no, I got a question about Mister Jesus. You once told me that the gospel, Mister Jesus, is that we're all bastards and God loves us anyway. So you tell me, which of them two does God love more?" That kind, caring, compassionate Jonathan or that bigoted, murdering, vicious Thomas? Which of them two bastards does God love more? Mm. And Will said it was at that point that an agnostic Jew taught him the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway, equally. I mean, I call it one of the horrible, one of the horrible beauty of the gospel um, that God loves us all, that we're all equal, the gross equality of humanity, right? That in some sense is what the cross means, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, but it's all of us and it's all equally, equally damned, equally saved, equally loved. That That's what the gospel is. And it sounds beautiful until you think about it too much and then it's just terrible because I don't want to be equal. Hmm. Um, but I think that's the part that we wrestle with because there's a lot of implications of that. That's the challenge of the gospel. Yeah. We are called equal. We are equally loved in in God's heart, mm-hmm. and uh, the truth of our humanity is. And at, at some level, I think the nature of we can call it original sin or whatever. The nature of sin and brokenness is uh, we don't want to be equal. That's right. We would like to have some other model. Mm-hmm. And God says, "No, I have given you what is right, what is most loving." Right. And uh, boy, that's hard. Wow. What a raw story to really get at the heart of our church, of what it means to be God's people, gospel people yeah. living in the world. Wow. Ryan, what do you think about that story? As you think about church and gospel? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a hard question too. <laughs> uh, but I think I the thing that I'm thinking about right now is the implications, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's true, that 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 we're all equal what does that mean for mm-hmm. like how does that become lived like what does that do how does that become lived right so you know i'm thinking about in the life of jesus people asked him these hard questions all the time uh, and tried to get him to uh do stuff, right? But one of the things that he did was he just kind of upended all the systems, right? And the, you know, the Pharisees would ask him questions about their understanding of religion. And he would say, well, yeah, but like everything you think you understand is wrong. And people would ask him questions about uh, the system of politics, or like Ro- the Roman oppression. And he would say, right, but everything that you understand is wrong. Mm-hmm. And 
the the implications of this like radical equality are huge, and that that's where it becomes really challenging. Of what what does that require? Um, how, how do how do you then live? Right, like that's that's right, the question, right. yeah. and I don't. That's that's not a question I know how to answer, um, just because it's so out there and it's so radical and. Well, and I would say that the more difficult part of it is is not just that there's no there's no clear answer, right? Because we want that. We want clear answers that we can feel good about, that we know, that make us feel safe, and in some sense make us feel right. Uh, but I think the harder part is that even when I think I know what that means, so I say that I believe that we're all bastards and God loves us anyway, right? That, that God loves me just as much as you, and that I'm to love you in that way. Um, when you get to people, that's really hard to do mm -hmm. right? because, um, yes, if God loves everyone equally, God loves the abuser and the abused. But aren't I to protect the abused from the abuser? I think the answer is yes. Right. Mm -hmm. But I also love the person that I, I try to find some way to find justice for, but then also believe that there is redemption for that person as well. So it, it just gets it gets very messy. I don't always know the right answer. It may be that I almost never know the right answer. I think maybe that's the point, mm -hmm. right? Because in the end, no, I don't. So I rely on God. I do the best I can in the way that I understand. And I believe not just that God is alive, but that God is good and God is forgiving and God is merciful. In the end, that's all I have. Um, and that, I think when we start living that, I think that's really freeing because I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to figure right. it out. I just, right. I just do the best I can in the way I understand and believe that that's enough for God. Right. The attempt. Right. The attempt. Yeah. 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 But I have to attempt. That is a thing. That's, That's not right. nothing. I have to move. I have to do. It has to be with people. Um, that in itself is difficult because I'd rather just pull back and feel really good about knowing things. Right. We just, yeah. we know that this, that's what the gospel yeah. is. As long as we have the answer, we're okay. Yeah. I just don't think it works I, that way. I think about, this makes me think of a story, uh, a really dear friend of mine who, who was a judge in a, a county near here. I'll keep it all, keep the names to myself to protect the guilty. <laughs> but uh, uh, he was a judge, an elected judge in in his community for, I think, ten or twelve years. Had a really good run. was was really incredible, especially dealing with uh, juvenile offenders. Mm. And uh, his heart was always, let's get to the bottom of what happened. Let's see if we can uncover the truth of what happened. But ultimately, let's craft some way of of granting or applying justice that somehow satisfies the need for justice while also opening yeah. the door for a better way of life for this young person or any person who did wrong. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, my goodness, the stories are beautiful. The people whose lives were touched by his approach that was so, in my mind, gospel-centered mm -hmm. Uh, such a gospel-centered way of looking at crime and punishment and justice in, in our world. Uh, finally, he was running for another term, and he was defeated, resoundingly defeated, because he was branded as soft on crime. Soft on crime, yeah. And the truth is, he was not soft on crime. He helped administer justice in very powerful ways. The people who came through his court often came out in a much better place of mm -hmm. life. And uh, I just, my heart broke when that happened because I knew his heart as a friend. And uh, I also knew that the application of the gospel might not return to that courtroom yeah. as it was being lived in that way. Maybe it did, I don't know, but um, 
that's that's gospel. That's gospel yeah. living. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Ryan. Yeah, it strikes me that like we get caught up a lot in the intellectualization of the gospel, right? Like we have taken the gospel and we've converted into this set of propositions that we can give assent to. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you go back into the New Testament, right? I don't. I'm not sure that that's exactly what gospel was. And and it's certainly not what belief was. Belief mm-hmm. required a certain set of actions. And um, so it's like your friend, right? Doing stuff, right? Yeah. You, it's, mm-hmm. it's this complicated thing. Um, so, I mean, I think about- It's a way of life. It's a, it becomes a way of life, yeah. And I think that's where it pushes us towards. I mean, think about the way that uh, Jesus sent out the 12 and the 72, right? And when he sent them out, he gave them very explicit instructions, which were, to summarize or paraphrase, go make people's lives better. Mm. Uh, heal, uh, give food, right? All of this stuff. And that's stuff that we don't typically think of as gospel, but it's certainly it's certainly good news. Uh, and it's 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 a really interesting thing. Um, and it's and it's not, at least in that construction, it's not primarily an intellectual thing. It's mm-hmm. a very physical and a very active thing. Um and it's also not confined to a specific place. It's it's just very different than the way that we cry, we end up sanitizing and making convenient the gospel, I think, today. Making convenient the gospel. Say more about that. Uh, well, I mean, but there's just, just there's a trend that we have uh, that we have to account for, which is that um, we've taken the gospel and we've made it less about the stuff that I do when I'm not in a space that we call church and more about coming to a space mm-hmm. and giving money to a organization and being in church and Sunday school, right? And mm-hmm. um, and assenting to some beliefs that we say we have, right? That mm-hmm. I have enough knowledge to assent to those propositions that right. you talked about, right? And then that's the checklist and I have it. Yeah, we it. check it off and then yeah. we go away and for yeah, the so other okay, whatever it is, yeah. 160 whatever hours a week that we're not in a in in the church building, we do whatever the heck we want, yeah. right. right? Like that takes this gospel, which is I think supposed to reframe kind of every part of identity and every part of action, mm-hmm. and makes it something that's like easy and and really san- sanitized and really uh, mm-hmm. ineffective, um, and makes it quite different than what it seems like it was intended in the first century, uh, at least in the life of Jesus. Well, and I, th- I think the way you put it of, um, right, that it if this understanding of the gospel is supposed to affect every part of our lives, the way, these, way we see the world, the way we think the world works, the way we see people, because, right, with my evangelical ears, right, we, we have this, at least a saying in our, in our scheme of, well, no, we uh, right, we in a worship service, right? The preacher's going to say, "Don't let this be the only time we remember God everywhere." But what we mean by that is some um, kind of whitewash morality, mm. where don't don't leave here. What are you doing on Saturday night? But even the Saturday night thing is like somehow like uh, drinking and some yeah, form of sexual ethics right, and smoking right. and don't cuss, right? It's this weird stuff, but it doesn't seem to actually be the stuff that Jesus talks about. It's not about being a part of systems that oppress certain groups. Mm-hmm. It's not about benefiting from a hierarchical structure. It's not about just the the sin of indifference, of not caring about anyone who's not around and not like me, of othering people. That's the stuff that I think a radical mm-hmm. um, egalitarian understanding of the world, Right. That isn't that that is true whether we believe it or not, right? This is what this is the the, the core of it. God has already said we are reconciled. It's already right. true, right? 
Jesus lived it out, right? The resurrection demonstrated it. Pentecost made it evident to all. It's true whether we believe it or not. The challenge is to live as if it's true because it is. Wow. And maybe we can't believe it until we start to live it. Right. We have to. It's, it's as much of a skill as knowledge. Right? Jesus has in Matthew, right, the Sermon on the Mount, this collection of Jesus' best hits, right, this collection, and the end of it is not um, he who hears these words and believes them, it's he who hears these words and puts them into practice is like. Yeah. We have to try to live it to even understand it. It's skills. So we got to go out there and do the best we can. Right. Um, and and it's hard, but that's the point. I think about a, a man in our church, wonderful, wonderful man who uh, has really grown up in the church spend his whole life in the church, but he will tell you he did not truly meet Jesus, the Jesus who who preached this gospel, mm-hmm. until he was in his late 30s. And uh, in encountering Jesus, he found himself transformed and uh, challenged in ways that he had never experienced, though he sat in countless, countless worship services, mm-hmm. church meetings, Sunday school classes, youth group, what you name it, he did it all. But it didn't become real until he truly met this Jesus that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but I think um, I think he discovered this gospel that we're talking about. He discovered this way of life, that it, it's a way of life. Mm-hmm. It's not a set of beliefs that we agree to or not agree to. Um, and that that's powerful. and was so meaningful for him. There's there's a way that that connects to to learning uh, generally, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but one of the things that I think about a lot is what learning is and how it works, right? And um, there's this sense of formal learning, right, where somebody's going to walk into a room and you're going to listen and they're going to tell you stuff that you should know and you're going to like mm-hmm. remember it, right, which kind of never happens mm-hmm. uh, a- exactly that directly. And then there's this other notion of experiential learning where you go out and figure stuff out as you kind of do it. Uh, and it seems to me that there's something about uh, this gospel thing that's experiential in nature and less something that you can just be told about and more something that you you figure out as you do it. And mm-hmm. as you do it, you learn about it mm-hmm. and in this formal way. Uh, but, but I think... You know, I don't know that the two can be divorced from each other. Right. Um, and so I think we have to put them back together. Yeah, we have to put directly. them back together. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's exactly right. And I, I think, I think our, and I don't, I'm not trying to brag on our Wesleyan theological heritage, but I think one of the things that we have in our heritage as a uh, denomination, as a, as a branch of God's church, and I, I like to say we follow Jesus in the Wesleyan way. Uh, Wesley's gift was putting those things back together, mm-hmm. was seeing beyond the institutional church that had emer- had emerged in his time, which looked very different than the institutional church that has emerged today, right. both though institu- institutional churches uh, full of baggage that is not the gospel. Right. Yeah. And uh, he put those things back together in a sense and said, you know, it's more than just showing up. It's more than in his time bringing your infant and having having it baptized and getting its name and being able to not ever show up again you know yeah. it's it's more than that and uh, that was a powerful element beginning okay as we bring episode 1 to a close here we we come back to our question what is the church how do we define the church and we have somehow said that 
the church is that community defined by the gospel, but we need to define what is church. And so if we say the gospel is uh, we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway, what is the church? How would we define the church? Well, I we can talk more in the next episode about the kind of the details of this and, and how it's complicated. I, I would say my definition of the church is uh, the, the people of God who come together and try to figure out what that means in their time and place, right? Without knowing that we've gone out, we've practiced it, we've tried, we want to believe it, but we come back and we learn more, right? We we try to have better eyes to see God moving in the world, ears to hear God and others crying. Uh, and we also come and say, man, I don't know what I'm doing. But was this okay? What do we do? And we we try to learn and experience and grow together, knowing that it's okay that we don't all know it because we admit at the beginning we don't really know what we're doing, but we're trying to do it. That's that's church, I say, at its best. Right. I think that's a good place for us to stop today, and we'll uh, resume our conversation on the next episode. Let's pray together as we as we close. Oh God, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hands and hearts to do your gospel in the world. Open us up to your Holy Spirit's work as we seek to follow Jesus, to uh, be people of the gospel, and uh, people who live the gospel in everything that we do. Draw us together uh, in your heart until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us this week on the Church at Work podcast. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Tune in next week to hear the rest of Drew, Andy, and Ryan's conversation. And also make sure that you subscribe to the Church at Work podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Church at Work podcast is a ministry of First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you have an idea for a topic or have a question you'd like us to explore, please email me at ben at churchatworkpodcast.com. And remember, we will never change the world by just going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. So let's go be the church.